the AEC's competition talks with leading experts, we have today Olis Andrishuk, Senior Lecturer in Competition and Internet Law at the University of Strathclyde, uh, Glasgow. Olis is also co-director of the Strathclyde Center for Internet, Internet Law and Policy. Olis holds a PhD in law from Charles University in Prague and also the European University Institute in Florence. Our guest has uh, undertaken research on competition law and the digital economy. Uh, uh, he has focused on theoretical aspects of European competition law. He has addressed uh, and explored economic freedom and competition from the perspective of legal, political and moral philosophy. So uh, a very interesting and, and, and fresh perspective. And uh, um, this has been sharing his research, his reflections on articles and book chapters. Aldis, it's my pleasure to do this Comcast with you. As I said, a very, a very fresh uh, and different perspective and, and very structured approach. So I'm looking forward to listen to, to, to the answers that you have to share with us uh, uh, today. Now, the recent challenges and opportunities that have uh, been brought by the digital economy underlie the focus of your current research uh, projects. Uh, these uh, uh, projects fo focus on, as I said, looking afresh and rethinking the concepts of the methodological foundations of EU competition law, economics and policy. So if I may uh, ask uh, to start this podcast uh, um, with uh, having you share uh, some of the reflections, some of the conclusions about these uh, ongoing projects uh, uh, in which you're currently working. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anna-Sophia. First of all, let me express my gratitude for, for the opportunity to present my research to such great audience. I really enjoyed talking earlier today to the participants of, of these fantastic webinars. And you are doing a great job for so long time. It's, it's really a pleasure and, and I'm really, really pleased to, to take part in, in, in this series. Answering your question, I think, well, we, we discussed today mainly the Digital Markets Act proposal. Uh, we are in June 2021, so we still don't know the destiny of the proposal, but we already see several uh, systemic features which many people discuss because we are on the, you know, on, on the eve of a really paradigmatic change in the area of the digital competition law, which is likely to uh, project to other areas of competition law as well. And, you know, I think if you look at the main features of this proposal, we, when we talk about digital gatekeepers, we often say that they reach their, uh, you know, uh, strategic market status by, the, by having an ability to offer individualized services, by having an ability to target business users and users by having an ability to match uh, advertisers with publishers. Uh, so this, this is a very individualized approach to the business. And regulators for the long time were underpinned by the idea of universality because universality, horizontal application of rules implies certainty, implies uh, fairness, all this uh, you know, the law is a systemic phenomenon, so it must be applied, uh, you know, uh, indiscriminately to all participants. And it looks at competition law for decades was applied in quite this uh, way. Um, and uh, that the regulators, uh, Europe is a trendsetter in this in this sense, are not satisfied with this with this approach. So they try to somehow copy the most most successful market 
players on other side of the market, uh, the digital gatekeepers, and they also try to introduce this asymmetry in terms of regulatory responses to these challenges, which uncontrolled growth of market omnipotence of the biggest market players uh, uh, pose to our societies and to our economies. So the main feature of the new emerging regulatory paradigm, or as I call it, sui generis competition, competition law, is it's kind of its dialogical uh, approach. It's a dialogue, first of all, it's a dialogue between the commission and or other enforcers, which will probably be enforcing uh, DMA if the, the latest initiative by the national competition agencies will develop further. Um, so it's their dialogue with the main market players, with the gatekeepers, trying to fine tune, trying to adjust, calibrate properly the some set of obligations uh, envisaged in Article 6 primarily. It, it is also a dialogue of the discipline of, of competition law with other, with other areas of the digital economy, with privacy, with copyright, with, with data protection, with industrial data, with, with various other strands of rapidly developing fields. So it is also an opening of um, inward-oriented competition law quite and policy and economics, quite insulated, quite focused on mathematized, uh, pragmatic, very refined and uh, universal uh, metrics. It is a, an, uh, an ability and readiness and, and manifestation of their interest to engage into more polycentric, polycentric future of the digital economy. So it looks at this new participatory dialogical model is not only the model which reflects the the juristic novella of Article One of of, of Article Six of the DMA, but it also um, exposes and it also demonstrates a broader trend, broader trend in the area. Indeed, Alice, it's 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 been an interesting time to watch. I think so. In this respect, we are also very privileged to see, uh, you know, how all these questions uh, uh, arose. Now, uh, we've seen, I, I, I recall, I, I think we still have a, a podcast in this podcast series where we were discussing, uh, you know, is competition law enough? Do you need to have regulation? Uh, uh, is regulation the answer? Is competition policy or a mix of both? So, and it's interesting to see that this year we've, been, we've, we've seen actual steps and proposals in, 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 with regulatory approaches. And, and, and uh, it, it's going to be even more interesting, uh, I, I think, to see what, what is going to, how this, all this will be implemented. And if I may add one of the, uh, another challenge to, to what you have uh, mentioned, I think it's also cooperation between, because there's different institutions, uh, there's uh, different uh, uh, competition agencies, there's a commission, but there's also uh, uh, these uh, digital uh, uh, platforms are ubiquitous and are all over the world and uh, uh, in all our lives and very different dimensions. So I think that cooperation uh, uh, and, and see how all this is going to be involved in terms of convergence or not is going to be uh, also something interesting to see uh, uh, in what's in what's uh, 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 for the future ahead and and not far not not far away. Now, okay, uh, all this. Now, if I would ask you to pinpoint or at least the three or four main key issues in digital uh, uh, markets that you think 
raise challenges for competition policy that need addressing, what would that list be uh, uh, in, in your view? Yeah, um, I think answering answering your very important question, it's one of the central questions, we can, we can look at these challenges from different perspectives. We can look clearly from purely competition uh, enforcement perspective, a limiting competition uh, policy to our traditional exposed analysis. We see some, some uh, challenges which are difficult to address by uh, having only uh, the traditional toolkits uh, toolkit available. First of all, we see the procedural limitations and most of the uh, enforcement or a lot of enforcement resources spent just to comply with the letter of law and trying to, um, in, uh, to, to deal with the issues of time because uh, it takes ages to investigate and then uh, to investigate an infringement and then when it ultimately reaches the, the court and then obviously sanctions what uh, and remedies, how effective the remedies are what are the consequences of, of these remedies? We usually talk about conduct which happened 10, 15 years ago, and we're talking only about one activity, probably not, if not marginal, at least not the central activity which, lead, which leads to, you know, to the problems for competition. And the second related problem is that we are talking about systemic market failures. So it's not enough to penalize wrongdoers because the very situation on the market is unsatisfactory. Um, on, even from the perspective of kind of traditional orthodox competition policy, which is focused mainly on the protection rather than promotion of competition, we see market failures and we see sector-specific regulation in some jurisdictions, including the European Union, and we see also market market investigations in, in, in some other jurisdictions. So it's not something particularly new when the legislators and regulators observe uh, the systemic challenges which are not capable to being addressed by just exposed individual, uh, individual investigations and the, the, the problem is more difficult and that the problem is not in penalizing a wrongdoer or even in an establishing wrongdoer, but the problem is to, to recalibrate the rapidly evolving markets. Then obviously we, the situation is not new. We talk about liberalization, we talk about utility markets in the past. So it's, it's, uh, it's this kind of thing. But the digital economy or, or the, the problems which we face in the, in the digital economy go beyond these well-known problems, so to say, because now they are accompanied with another important dimension. And this is kind of strategic dimension, which, is, uh, which has its uh, you know, manifestation in the term digital sovereignty. So it looks that our policies that competition policy from being inward oriented becomes more dialogical and thus it becomes more susceptible to being uh, used as a tool for achieving other other interests and it's it's a double-edged sword because traditionally any attempt to instrumentalize competition uh, law economics and policy was a very toxic issue it was uh, a faux pas it was something uh, as a taboo uh, because we were relying on competition qua natural science we, with advanced mathematical formulas, with precise answers, and any deviation from, from the 
uh, objective, quote-unquote, uh, discovery of, of mathematics underpinned by the normative foundations of law and economics and welfare, welfare generating consumer, you know, consumer ethos, so to say, would be, would be considered as, as hypocritical. Now with the, not a crisis, but with the decline of this singular metrics and with the life of, you know, uh, with the emergence of this polycentric vision of, of competition law, we don't go back to structuralist approach, even though we see strong indicators that many structuralists, particularly in the United States, gain their momentum. But it looks that structuralist approach will not will be equally inefficient for dealing with these systemic issues, or at least there is an appetite in using competition law more broadly. And it is very important for uh, for competition community, for enforcers, for academics, to try to develop this discussion in uh, to remove it from this binary yes or no format. I support the openness of competition law, or I support the traditional technicality-oriented mastering in uh, juristic uh, legal precedents or economic, uh, economic, um, economic formulas, but to uh, expand our vocabulary and to look at pros and cons of different opportunities and challenges, because it is simultaneously an opportunity for the discipline and it's also a huge challenge. So we don't want to be used as a, as a, a you know blind as a blind cat, so to say. But on the other hand, we don't want to be inward oriented and just to to master our own um, digital muscles in law and economics only. So maybe it's time to be more open open to 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 to, to the new to, to the new um, research avenues, so to say. Very well, uh, Olis, uh, in discussing all those issues, um, I know that you have dedicated research to systematizing uh, the different forms or, uh, of competition or how competition take place, can take place uh, between uh, digital platforms. Uh, and uh, you have addressed not only inter-platform competition, but also uh, ecosystem uh, competition, which is something that we know uh, uh, is new or at least uh, more preeminent in, 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 in digital settings uh, and increasingly so as uh, applications of data uh, diversify and evolve uh, with time. Uh, can you share with you some thoughts? Uh, can you share with us some thoughts on, on, on your reflections on this regard? Oh, yes, yes, indeed. And I, I, I know that, that, that Portuguese Competition Authority uh, is doing a great job on, on ecosystem competition and, and other uh, competition jurisdictions and authorities and OECD. So it's kind of an important topic. And in a nutshell, when we talk about the format of competition which uh, merits highest promotion and protection, we can see three most plausible ones. The first one is intra-platform competition. And this one, this format of competition is the most obviously important, so to say. We see that the systemic features of the digital economy is market tipping, winner, winner takes all. It's very unlikely that the current, that the current gatekeepers would uh, be somehow removed by the newcomers. It is much more likely to expect that the, 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 the current monopolists or oligopolists will remain to, to, you know, to, to, to be dominant players in this field. And thus, maybe it's more 
pragmatically uh, useful to focus on mastering the rules, on designing the rules, which would make this competition within these platforms more more responsible, more transparent, that they will be act more uh, more account in a more accountable fashion. That they will not be randomly changing the algorithms and designing and uh, de deciding the destiny of a specific business just uh, by by modifying something without uh, giving advance notice, etc. That the issues of self-referencing, which are so ubiquitous and they are somehow inherent features of the digital economy, will be done in a more responsible way. So all this spectrum of uh, intra-platform competition would, would, be very likely to, would be very likely improved by the DMA. And this is obviously a very important thing. But is this uh, mission exhaust, does it exhaust all possibilities which the, the responsible enforcers consider? I don't think so. And then we, the, the next dimension emerges, which is a more strategic one, inter-platform competition. Obviously, we, when we talk about inter-platform competition, we, we understand that there are several layers of competition, even within one platform. So you can be a gatekeeper within one, one specific core platform service inside, down on the downstream level, so to say. But even on this simple uh, eight core platform services competition, we we don't want to promote specific new entrants, but it is a duty of public competition authorities to design a competition policy in a way which would make this entry more plausible, which would help the new entrant to feel more comfortable in this new regulatory environment, which, uh, which is more targeted vis-a-vis -vis gatekeepers. So the format which would allow to keep strong obligations, to maintain strong obligations vis-a-vis -vis gatekeepers for a long time without transposing these obligations on the newcom on the potential newcomers is of, of paramount importance for the inter-platform competition. And in this respect, choosing uh, the binary format of, uh, of the DMA in terms of designating gatekeepers is probably the best one. Because if you compare it with what we have with the DSA, with this pyramidal, pyramidal structure, where the bigger you are, the stronger the obligations become, um, many potential newcomers, before they reach the status of, of an inter-platform competitor, they would be subject to much stronger obligations, and this would slow down their market penetration, so to say. So I think DMA is, uh, is very well designed from this perspective. So this is inter-platform competition. And an obvious answer to the inter-platform competition would be, well, let us have it as an ecosystem competition. Because if you look at platforms who are usually dominate, they usually dominate one or two uh, you know, strategic markets, so to say, but they are also very active in trying to, to enter into each other's uh, center of gravity, so to say. So uh, if we allow and promote this level of inter-platform, uh, of inter-ecosystem competition, we would have these six companies competing very fiercely and such competition would generate all the benefits with which traditional competition law feels very comfortable with. So it would increase contestability and rivalry it would satisfy the consumer needs, etc. It's that all the traditional boxes could be ticked with this ecosystem competition. But it would be somehow 
similar to what we have with North American professional leagues. It's a closed elite club where you can, cannot enter anymore, particularly if ecosystems compete with each other. They would master their level of perfection in terms of delivering, delivering their services and goods to an unprecedented level. Any new entry would be impossible. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a big temptation for competition enforcers to look at ecosystem competition, which prima facie offers many advantages to competition, but it somehow compromises other aspects, such as, well, I don't want to refer to structuralist things, because for me, it's not only about structure, it's, it's also about the, the composition of the potential, potential participants in this elite club, so to say. So if they expand from eight to 20, it would satisfy structuralists, but still, I, I think the entry must be. So in this respect, I, I, I think our deliberal uh, approach sounds more, more convincing. So it's about an opportunity. It's also about opportunity to participate in this game, which, which appears to be so important for the future. So in this respect, if you look at the three levels of competition, in many respects, they are not antithetical. It's not that we, by promoting one, we compromise on others. They can be somehow um, uh, channeled and supported in different in different uh, proportions, so to say. But I think still that regulatory priority strategically must be on the inter-platform competition, which, which would allow a broader access to potential entrants, while obviously tactically being focused on the intra-platform uh, level of competition, which basically the DMA is designed to support ipso facto. If you look at the obligations of article articles 5, 6, 12, and 13, but obviously we shouldn't look at the gate at the ecosystem at the competition between ecosystems as a kind of you know as a kind of taboo because it is very problematic and it is quite toxic from this kind of broader societal perspective and it's probably not in the interest of Europe to be particularly encouraging of inter-ecosystem competition, but it in itself, the fact that it's not in our interest, it doesn't give us a mandate to be hostile to this to this approach. So it's kind of, uh, you know, we need a, a stronger and more, that leads me back to my, to my first point, that we need more diversified um, toolkits, so to say, rather than just uh, yes or no, we support or we, or, or we uh, try to, to, to limit. It must be more diversified. And the problem, again, that, that's one of the main problems, who designs these narratives, so to say. Is it within our um, scope to act so strategically without compromising the principles of liberal, of liberal democracy? Because such, uh, you know, uh, such approach is, not, is getting closer to the, plant, to the plant or centrally plant economy. And it's, it's a big... It, it, it's, it's, it's a big barrier nobody wants to, to close to, so to say, to, to approach very close to, for obvious, for obvious reasons. Well, as you mentioned, very important things. I think protecting contestability is, is, is one of them. Uh, um, and you've also uh, addressed two different avenues, the avenues that have been uh, used on focusing on behaviorals, exclusionary behaviors, and, and, and other solutions that rely on, on, on more interventionist on the, on the market structure. Uh, and I think it's very important to read from the 
strategies of the players in the market to understand where the problems are, where what the incentives that are governing these strategies are, uh, so that we can have uh, a, a more precise uh, action uh, in uh, preventing the destruction of contestability, which is so important uh, to, 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 to ensure that the digital economy works for all and not only for a few. Um, uh, uh, Oles, let me now, uh, we've been discussing uh, the solutions. Um, uh, I, I, I would like to ask if you want to elaborate more on these solutions, uh, but also asking what, do, what are your views in terms of or expectations regarding the implementation and the com compliance of the DMA? Also, because uh, there are um, measures that, that uh, uh, a finale, if there's an incompliance, there are more stricter measures that are foreseen. Um, so what do you expect to see in the implementation and compliance uh, uh, ahead? Um, it, I, I see what, what kind of measures you, you have in mind. It's kind of so-called nuclear option, yeah? And obviously um, it would be a very, very difficult difficult um, decision to make and it looks that uh, the, the 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 current bills which we which we are being discussed in the house judiciary committee uh, in the united states also discuss this 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 uh, this nuclear option so to say and i still th see them from normative point of view um as very very unlikely to happen because they would trigger uh, many um, so-called unintended consequences and i would also th think that the main purpose of the dma is not even though even if we refine further the quantitative thresholds limiting the the main address or the only addressees the gatekeepers to only a handful of companies with none of them being European. I wouldn't say that it's targeted against the specific, the specific uh, gatekeepers. I think the main purpose or the mission of the DMA, in addition to uh, protecting intra-platform competition, is to try to offer something instead. So it must, the mission must be to offer, to, in, to slow down the omnipotence of those current gatekeepers in order to enable the entrance of new gatekeepers. It, it, it leads this policy closer to the broader, to the broader digital uh, agenda, so to say, of the European Union, but given that participatory uh, or rather dialogical nature and given this polycentricity of competition, we are so much involved into this sustainability uh, discourse into into this data protection and privacy protection discourses. So it looks that the main driving force of the DMA um, is not in trying to somehow uh, to, to, to limit the omnipotence for its own sake and to make a structural or or any other form of separation but rather to give an opportunity for some uh, you know, mavericks, for some challengers uh, to scale up. And it, it is, if you look at the, at the rules for designating the gatekeepers, which gives us three years uh, for all potential newcomers 
before they meet these quantitative thresholds, it gives them three years to scale up, to, 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 to mature, so to say. And three years in the digital life, it's quite a long, it's, it's quite a long time. Quite a long time. So probably these are the main no novelties, rather than you know, trying to, to be aggressive in, 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 in this kind of uh, more, hostile, more hostile way, so to say. Indeed, indeed. But there's also the deterrence effect. Probably that's that's also why there's these uh, 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 finale uh, possibilities that are out there to to foster compliance uh, of the first, as you say, much less aggressive uh, uh, measures. Well, always it has been a, a, a great pleasure to to do this Comcast with you to to listen to all your your reflections your your structured thinking uh, thank you very much uh, uh, it has been uh, uh, as i say a, a real privilege thank you very much anna sofia thank you very much jose for your kind invitation it was a pleasure to discuss these ideas with such competent audience who are also policy makers uh, thank you very much for the opportunity thank you